all would love to get away from the heartache, from the trials, from the struggle, and take a vacation from our problems. But thank God, literally, that He never takes a vacation from our problems. He isn't like the doctor who's taking a month off and maybe we'll enter in back to Bob's life. Our God who loves us never takes a vacation from our problems. His love is never ending. His kingdom work is never ceasing. And last week as we looked at the continued suffering of the Israelites, Jackson brought to us the question, what do we do when life seems to go from bad to worse? And he encouraged us to bring our heartache to the Lord and to engage with the Lord in a way that allows us to be more intimate with Him, that we would lay these things before Him as we struggle, as, as we have to make bricks without straw and we have to work harder and harder as Pharaoh is against us. Reminded us that He is the only one to turn to. This morning, what I would like us to look at as we go through the problems, as we go through the struggle, is what does God do as things go from bad to worse? What is the Lord doing in our midst as we wonder what's happening as we are out in the heat struggling through? So turn with me to Exodus chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. And then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh because of my mighty hand. He will let them go because of my mighty hand. He will drive them out of his country. And God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land that I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. When we are in the middle of the swell of life, of the storms that are tossing us back and forth, not knowing what is next, not knowing what the day holds. There are truths about who our God is that I think we must anchor into so that our boat, our life is not thrown about, that we are secure, that we have foundation. When all these curveballs keep coming at us, when we don't quite get it, when it makes no sense why life continues to go from bad to worse. And one of the anchors that we need to set into the shore 
into the foundation is that God and who He is is our foundation. And who God is is I am. And He declares it over and over again. And we see in the beginning of chapter 6 that God is active. All of a sudden, His work is about to take place. He says, with a mighty hand, I am going to come and deliver my people. With a mighty hand, I will rescue you and bring you up out of the slavery. And we get this image of God's hand with power and strength and taking action in our lives. And He is moving. We get this, again, image of Him. And now you shall see, Moses, all that I'm about to do. But I think you and I know the truth is, all along, that God has been active. That He's been working in our lives. That He has been working in the lives of the Israelites. He didn't just show up this one day and like, well, today looks like a good day. Let's deliver Israel. That He has been planning and purposeful. And God is now allowing Moses to see that play out. His mighty hand. And so He goes to Moses and He says in verse 2, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh. In the middle of the chaos and the pain... We need to remember that the God that you and I serve, the same God of Moses, of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, is I Am. This is the Creator of the universe. I Am. God of all history. God of all power and authority and awesomeness. God who is loving and forgiving. The only true God. Not the gods we place on our altar, but the real God. Not the gods of Egypt but I am majestic and in control of our lives. This very moment, this very hour, in control. And he wants Moses and he wants the Israelites to see that his name, his character goes forth. And you'll see over and over again that he says, I am. Therefore say to the Israelites, verse 6, that I am the Lord. Verse 7 that you will know that I am the Lord your God. Verse 8, I will give you possession of the land. I am the Lord. And he wraps up in this chapter in 28, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh that. Why does he keep repeating his name? We got it the first time. So you would think. Do you understand? God is staking His very name. His very character. His very being. His reputation on who He is and what He is doing with His people. For then and for all of history, as My name goes forth, it is based on what I will do with you. As I come as a redemptive God, people will know who I am. I'm not raw. I'm not some other God out there. This is the God who is the saving God. The God who loves you. The God who steps into your life. But they're still in the middle of it. And we don't always get that. You know, sometimes again the trouble comes and, and God as He's working in, a li- in our lives allows it to stay maybe so that we can see that He is the only one who can save us. We can't save ourselves. We try. We try to do it on our own. And He allows us to sit there so that we understand He's the only one 
who can save us. Maybe sometimes he allows us to stay making bricks and going through the from bad to worse because he wants us to be patient. He wants us to rest in him, that he is our rock and our fortress, and to come to him with that. And you know, as Hardin has been in the hospital and as he, and as he prayed for prayer, really going, God, you know, show me anything that you have for me. And I hope that's our prayer. Lord, I don't know why I'm here. You know, we never, we never understand God's timing, do we? We just don't get it. I don't think we ever will, literally, till the end of time. God, why did you wait so long? God, why do I have to continue to go through this? Will you ever deliver me? The truth is, he will. We still know the timing of that. It may be eternity, but he will. And so we struggle. And so most of the time, we don't understand. And so we learn to trust. And so his people right now in the desert are learning to trust that our God is sovereign. He reigns supreme over the universe. He reigns supreme over the people that he has made. He is in control, even though it feels distant sometimes. And the psalmist would cry out, Lord, hear my cry, O God, where are you? And more often than not, as we come to the end of the psalm, it's, and you are my rock and my refuge. In you alone do I find strength. You are my fortress. The tendency in our flesh is to be like Bob. Life is getting difficult. I need an answer to help me get out of this. And so I just, can you give me a prescription to get me on a vacation from my problems? And I just want to encourage you, and it's, it's for all of us, as our flesh goes that way and it just seems the, the easy way out, again, that we would place anchor and who our God is. And He is, I am. From the beginning of time through the very end. Right now, I am. And He says, you can set anchor in me because I am a God of covenant. And I keep my covenant with my people. And we are His people and He keeps His covenant with us. Moses, let me remind you of a few things. And he reaches back into the history of Israel, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I think to show that this is a deep and long-standing plan. Again, it just didn't happen out of the blue. It's Friday, and let's just do this thing. I have been at work for a long time. It has roots before you, Moses, and he'll have branches well beyond you. And he's trying to reassure Moses, as well as you and me, that he is a God of covenant, of promise. He offered to Abraham, I will give you offspring, it will be beyond the stars that you see. And the other promise he makes to Abraham is, I will bring you into a land, a promised land. You know, we have life in Christ now for those of us who love Jesus. But we also have a hope, don't we? A hope of the promised land. A hope of eternity with God forever. Where we dwell in His presence. Where that is the place where truly all our problems are washed. Our suffering is gone. We live now for Christ and we 
We have him in our lives, but this hope that there's more. And he gives that to us. He's a God of covenant. Guess what? If you love Jesus, you will be in heaven. You have something to look forward to. Why? Because God's got a covenant. He doesn't break his promises. I will deliver you into my land. I told that to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He already spoke these words, if you remember, in chapter 3. He kind of said the same thing. He said, I remember my covenant. And you go, why does God keep repeating things like this? And I think it's because we, and again, in our humanness, I think we just forget. I think we, we need to be reminded of who God is. And I think God is emphasizing, I want you to know, when I remember That means I act. I'm telling you again because I know you forget things about who I am, and so I'm reminding you of who I am. I'm a God of covenant. I will step in. I will keep my promises. The same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And I am beginning to reveal myself to this people. And I'm revealing myself to Pharaoh. You know, he says, he says, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they didn't see me the same way as you do. We know that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had a great relationship with God, the awesome God, and they encountered him. So what's a little bit different here? What is God saying? I think God is saying those forefathers didn't have the full grasp of who I am. I'm about to be a God who is a Savior God a God who will deliver. I made those promises to the people, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Now it's about to come out to play. You're going to see the fullness of me. God in relationship with us is revealing more and more of who he is to his people. You know, I think for Abraham and those guys, it's the beginning of relationship with mankind and, and, and getting to know God better. It's like a marriage a little bit, isn't it? Jason and Larissa here are going to get married pretty soon, and, and they fell in love, and they've had you know, a couple of years to get to know each other, and they're getting to know each other more and more. But then they're going to be married. And guess what? They get to know each other even more and more. And it gets to go deeper, and they know each other, and they, they learn all about the good and, and also the bad that comes along with that. And so the intimacy and the knowledge of each other goes further. And I think that's the same with God and mankind, you and me. As you know me, you will see all that I'm about to reveal to you. They knew me as a God who would bring about salvation, but they didn't experience that. They didn't actually witness that. Abraham knew God as a promise maker. Moses will know God, and the people of Exodus will know God as a promise keeper. And you and I know God and Jesus Christ as that. He keeps his promises. Yahweh made it known. His unbreakable promise of salvation. This covenant of love with you and me. And I remember, I bring into action my covenant of love. And this covenant would ultimately require the death of his son. Does it not? That 1,500 years later, the same compassion that he had as he saw his people bound in the, in the desert 
that he brings that about through his son. As people are enslaved to sin, which you and I are, until we receive Christ, Christ's heart breaks for us that we would have life. And so Zechariah, when he heard about Jesus, that the Savior was coming, he said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has come and He has redeemed His people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. And He has remembered His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to our father Abraham. God remembered His covenant in the person of Jesus Christ, His Son. And Psalm 105 says, He remembers His covenant forever. The word He commanded for a thousand generations. And so that goes out to you and me. I will keep my covenant. I continue to work in the lives of this world. I continue to offer salvation. I'm a redeeming God. And so we anchor in who He is, We set anchor that He is a covenant-making God. And we anchor in His promises. He says, I am and I will. And He's about to step in as a redeeming God. All of Exodus is this wonderful story to show us God's plan of redemption from the beginning of time. You cannot miss that. Why the story of Moses? What is God bringing to the table? God's active involvement in our lives and His plan to deliver the people and deliver you and me so that we might have life. And may we truly never take that for granted. You know what? Some of us have been walking with Christ for a long time. And I just think we forget the the price. The price paid. All of God's love throughout all of history to show us, I want to offer life to my people. I want to bring about salvation. I hope we don't get numb in our Christianity and forget that. We are saved people as we place our faith in Jesus Christ. And we have hope and we have life. And the Lord cannot break His covenant and He will not because of His love. And so what He says is this. He says, I will. I'm coming with a mighty hand and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from your slavery. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm to grab you out of the middle of your sin, the middle of your enslavement. I want to show you a picture. I want to keep it up here for a while that you would just think about this image and who God is. This happened just uh, last week, I believe. These guys drove their van into the river. And the torrent was coming, and so they climbed to the top of the van. And here's one coming to rescue them with outstretched arm. And I want you to have that image of our loving God. That this is what He's doing daily in our lives. He is a redeeming God. And I will take you as my own people And I will be your God. I will bring you into the land that I swore to you. I will give you a land as your possession. And I want you to notice something in this chapter. It doesn't say this. I will if you. If you would only do this, then I'll act. 
I will if you know you obey me here. I will if, if you're better people. I will if you'll listen to me more. God, who keeps his promises, his covenant, is acting upon that very fact. I said I would, and now I am. And so he responds, nothing to what the Israelites have done. That's grace, isn't it? And he says, I'm going to step into life, and I will free you from bondage. You're in sin. If you sit on that van, you will die. The waters will take over, you will freeze to death, and you will die. And so I come with an outstretched arm to free you. You were slaves to sin, Romans 16, 6, 17 says. But you have been freed in Jesus Christ. And he says, I will redeem you. This financial term that was used, the release of a slave that was bought with a payment, a ransom. And in biblical times, redemption typically always belonged to the right of the near kinsman, a family member, the close relative. You see what God is saying here? I'm that. I am Abba. I am your Father. I am God. I am the one who will redeem you. That belongs to your near kinsmen. That is me. I'm not a distant God. I'm not a God who comes down with anger upon you like all the gods of Egypt that you know. I'm a God who loves you and as your Father, I pay the price. And ultimately, it'll be with my Son. I redeem you. I bring you out. And he says, I will take you as my own. I will be your God. And literally in the Hebrew, it is, I will adopt you into my family. The adoption process began thousands of years ago. We know in the New Testament, he says that we are adopted in, we are sons, we are heirs, co-heirs with Christ. That began a long time ago. His love to adopt us in, to bring us in as His children. I will take you as my own. And He draws near to us. Do you remember, He warned Pharaoh in chapter 4. He said, Israel is my firstborn son. Basically, don't mess. Don't mess with my kids. You will pay a price. And He did. Henry Nouwen in his book, Life of the Beloved, speaking of God choosing us and and pulling us into His family, says this, You have to celebrate your chosenness constantly. This means saying thank you to God for having chosen you. And thank you to all who remind you of your chosenness. Gratitude is the most fruitful way of deepening your consciousness that you are not an accident, but a divine choice that God came upon your life through the power of the Holy Spirit is not by mistake. For those of you who have received that, you have enjoyed the fruit of that love as He's poured it out upon you. His desire is this, that none should perish. That none. And I reach out with an outstretched arm. I will be your God. You know, in this little section, verses 6-8, through it's, it's uh, written in what's called a chiastic form, and, and all that means is, is that there's a center line, which is a, a point that is to be emphasized. And the emphasis point of this, those verses, 
is, I will be your God. And we cannot lose sight of that. As we're getting tossed about, as things are going from bad to worse, as we're wanting a vacation from our problems, that we remember that I will be your God, says the Lord Almighty. I'm not going to be away from you. I'm right next to you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You are my beloved children. I've adopted you in. I will be your God. That you would hold on to that truth. As life again is unfair and life is hard and life throws us, I will be your God. And he has laid all this out, his promises of possession. He gives us this land soon again for us that we will have heaven. And he lays out all that he's going to do in the midst of the statement. He says, I have remembered my covenant, therefore, connected to that previous statement, I will. Do you know why God saves us? Because he promised that he would. Because he's a covenant-keeping God. And obviously because he loves us beyond all measure that we can imagine. But he saves us because he's set up to save us. He can't imagine life without us. And so he saves us. Liberating, redeeming, adopting, giving us a land. And we cannot miss in this whole section that salvation alone belongs to the Lord and nobody else. There is no other name in which we are saved except that of Jesus. And so again, as we try or as we look to other religion and we think there must be some way that we can work hard enough to obtain it, God is saying, oh, from the beginning of time, I've offered it to you. I want to give it to you. In him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins. It is by His resurrection that we have an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade out. It is kept for us in heaven. He has done the work. Do you know what's left? It's for us to reach out our hand and grab onto His outstretched hand and say, Lord, I receive You. Thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for saving my life. Grab a hold of me and bring me into your family. You can take that down. Thanks. This wonderful news, the good news of life in Christ, the good news of life and redemption in God, Yahweh, I am. And so Moses is encouraged and he's excited and he goes before his people and he explains everything that God is doing. And what does it say? And they did not listen to him. They didn't respond. They were like, thanks for sharing, Moses. But you sort of understand it, don't you? They've been in this bondage. They've been in this suffering. They're now getting worse upon them as Pharaoh is, is putting his fist against them. But God is understanding. You know, our, our kids, uh, Alex and uh, Joshua, got the chicken pox this week. And many of you have gone through that with your children. We're the itchy richies, is what we call ourselves. And so in the middle of the night, I would hear their groaning, their cry. 
And because, like any of us who have children, we love our kids. There's nothing worse than seeing your kids go through hard stuff. And as they're crying and itching beyond measure and, and they just can't sleep and they got a little fever and they're just tossing and turning and the blankets are on the floor and they're trying to get some position where they just aren't in pain. And so I come in and in the middle of the night and Josh is the one who, he had the worst. I mean, he had it all over. Alex pretty good, but Josh was just pretty bad. So you come and I, and I hold Joshua and I'm like, Joshua, it's going to be okay. Joshua, you know what? I've been through this. I've suffered this same suffering. And, and, and in a couple days, it's going to be over. The hard part is going to be over. And you aren't going to itch anymore. And, and it's all going to be, it's going to go away. And Josh looked up at me and he's like... And he just gave me that look. It's that whatever, Dad... And you know what? I'm not like, come on, Josh. Just understand what I'm saying to you. Get over it. And you know, that's exactly the way God is with us. You know what? I know you've been going through the pain. I know that as I bring hope to you, it's not easily received. But it doesn't take me away from doing my work, which is I will continue to bring about redemption and salvation. And the truth is, which we have to put our anchor in, is that there is hope. There will be more than these chicken pox. Life will continue on. You will be free from this and continue on in the Lord. And so he has continued to listen and he works in the lives of the Israelites and he understands that that they don't get it and he doesn't condemn his people and he remains faithful. Joshua 29, 11, or Jeremiah 29, 11, I remember the plans the plans that I am planning for you, plans to give you hope and a future. Right in the middle, right now, he's working out our lives. And he understands our bondage and our suffering. And so as Moses struggles with this and he comes back to God in in 10 through 13, there's a scene of, of Moses coming before God and God, you know, what do I do? And the people aren't listening, I'm struggling. And so God says, listen, you need to go, I'm sending you. You need to bring this truth to the people and you need to bring it to Pharaoh. And he says, God, why would Pharaoh, the Israelites wouldn't listen to me. Why would Pharaoh listen to me? I have a faltering tongue. My tongue doesn't work right. I don't speak well. We've seen this excuse, haven't we? He uses it over and over again. I'm always amazed that Moses keeps using this for a guy who says, I don't speak very well. He speaks a lot to God, doesn't he, about his faltering tongue. He talks a lot. And he has an excuse every time. And this is what I love about God again. So patient with us. So patient with you and me. I have a plan that I am doing with my people. I have a plan of salvation. And guess what? That whole plan is going to include you, Moses. Complaining and and with excuses and in your brokenness, I'm using you. And that's what he does with you and me, folks. He does. We go, Lord, but I can't. How do I do this? It's not going to work. The people wouldn't listen. How many people do you know right away, just as you share the gospel with them, they're like, Woohoo! Yeah, bring it on. I take it in. <laughs> Occasionally. But you know what? It's your life relationship. It's you sharing the good news with them. They're seeing your life. They're seeing Christ working you. 
It isn't always easily just received like that, is it? And God understands that. And so he says, in your brokenness, this is the other anchor we put in, that God actually allows us to be used with our faltering tongue, with our brokenness, with our sin. And he says, I want to use you, Moses, to bring about this plan that I've had been going on all along with a mighty hand, but it's all me. That's new covenant, is it not? New covenant is all God, not us, so that he gets the glory through these broken vessels as we serve him. But we cannot forget the fact that he actually wants to use us. I think sometimes we think, well, I'm sinning too much, or I just don't know how to do it. And he goes, I know. Exactly. But there are people dying, they're on the van, and nobody's reaching their arm out to them. And that's you and me. Can't forget this plan, this good news that God has. Our inability is God's ability more powerful through us. And so God is doing this mighty work, and then he brings about this genealogy Right in the middle of, he's about to go to Pharaoh. And then you get this lengthy genealogy. And you're like, Lord, you know, all Scripture, God breathed, you know, useful. And you're like, what in the world are you doing? This doesn't make any sense. And I'm not going to read the genealogy. There's all these names that none of us can pronounce. You know what I mean? But it's, it's good to read through, you know, do it later. But go, why is the genealogy there? And I just want to throw out to you real quickly why I think it's placed where it is. That he is, again, identifying himself as God and he's laying out to Moses as he's speaking to him. As you see in the genealogy, what happens is, as you see the sons of Jacob, and then all of a sudden you get into the Levitical clan, the tribe. And you go, out of the Levites were the priests, the ones who brought God's truth, the ones who offered sacrifice. And out of that came Moses and Aaron. And so I think God is allowing us to see that he is working in the middle of all of this. I am giving you those with authority, those who have authority in God as Levitical people. And also to drive home as we see the history, once again, that God has been doing a work from the beginning of time. It's not by accident. It wasn't like, again, today's the day. Look at all the history and who I'm bringing you through and look at your family heritage and see what I am doing, Moses. And it's, Moses, I think, and, and as uh, we're being presented Exodus, we're allowed to see that God has been doing this work in his life so he can go. And also genealogy gives you a sense of purpose and also your status. And so I think, again, it's showing, you know what? Moses is going, who am I? God's saying, you're out of the tribe of Levi. This is who you are. You have authority. Go. I know you're wondering how you're going to do all this. I've been working it all out so that your, your name and who you are will have influence. And I'm going to use you in the middle of it. And again, Moses complains in the end of the chapter. He's like, again, once again, I have faltering lips. How can I do it? And God, once again, is patient with us. Because we are slow to understand We're slow to believe. We're slow to obey. But God is working out a salvation through us with faltering tongues and all. The world is in chaos. Our lives are thrown by just the sin of the world and sin in our lives. 
And so God is saying, don't be like Bob, who says, I need a vacation from my problems. But let us set our anchor in the fact of who he is. Let us set our anchor in the fact that he keeps his covenant. Let us know that we have a firm foundation in the fact that he is the one who keeps his promises and he will and he does. And we've seen that play out in our lives as we, as we receive Jesus Christ. And that we can anchor in the fact that in all of my brokenness and, and not understanding and how it's all going to work, that God's plan of redemption is going to work all through the end of time and we get to be part of that. I can't believe he uses us, but he does. And so we rest in that. He says, I am, I will. Amen? Amen. Finish this up, brother. Let's uh, wrap up with a song, maybe stretch, stand up, and uh, get some blood flowing. There you go.